right, well, good evening, friends. It's good to see you all tonight. I hope you all had a great, great first day of camp. If you have your Bibles, uh, we will get to this passage in just a second. Just turn to John chapter 1. And when I say just a second, it's going to be, well, it's going to be a little bit. But John chapter 1, uh, here, in, starting verse 35. All right, John chapter 1, starting verse 35. All right, well, let's pray before we start, shall we? Let's pray. Father, we humble ourselves before you, desiring to hear you, wanted to be taught by you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would convict and encourage whatever is necessary to make us look more like Jesus. Father, for those who are here and they don't want you, don't like you, don't believe in you, Father, I pray that you would reveal yourself to them in a beautiful way, an honest way. For those those of us who do believe in you, reveal yourself in such a way that draws us deeper with you. Father, I pray that you would do a great work tonight something that we didn't expect. God, do something tonight that makes the day of Pentecost and Acts look tame. God, we pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone who agrees says, amen. In John chapter 2, Jesus was invited to a wedding, and while he was there, there was this problem that happened. So Mary, I, it seems like, it's not, it's not definite, but it seems like from the commentaries that I read that Mary was kind of like the, she's like the host of the party. She's making sure, she's helping the family out, making sure all the things were taken care of. And we have to remember that weddings and the, the reception lasted for days. And it wasn't just a couple hours at the, on an afternoon, it was days. They celebrated for days together. And so all of a sudden, Mary comes running up to Jesus and says, hey, they have no more wine. They ran out of the good stuff. And Jesus looks at her and says, woman, and I'm like, what? You just womaned your mom? Like that just, is anybody besides myself, that would just not fly with your dad. If I looked at my mom and said, woman, I'd be dead. It'd be done, right? It'd be done. But here's the thing, guys, here's the thing. This was a term of endearment. This was normal. This was okay. This wasn't a big deal. So he says, woman, what does this have to do with me? My time hasn't come yet. It's not time for me to do the miraculous. And it's not like Jesus had been doing miracles up to this point. This would be his first. And so when Jesus says, what does this have to do with me? It made sense. Why? Well, because Jesus was a carpenter. He wasn't a, unless he had like a moonshine business on the side and and just stomping grapes over here while he's making a chair. Like it wasn't the normal thing that he did. And so it really did make sense. And yet Mary knew to go to him with it. And right, right after he says, or right after she said, um, after, right after he says, what does this have to do with me? She looks at the servants around and says, just do whatever he says, and then walks off. Has anyone ever had mom volunteer you for something? Yep. Yep. It just happens, right? And, and rightfully so. I mean, she gave birth to you, so yeah, you should have to pay her back the rest of your life. And so Jesus gets it. He knows what it feels like. But it's in that one phrase, that one statement that she said to the servants is what I think all of us should be living 
Just do whatever he says. Just do whatever Jesus says. And you may sit there and go, well, how do you know what he says? Because I think it's the best advice. How do, we know what he, how do we know what he says? Well, we have the Bible. We know how, what God says because we have the Bible. And how important is the Bible? I received this story of this little girl named Tavani. She was 11. I think she's 11 at the time right now. And for five years, she prayed for one thing. Little girl from Indonesia, she prayed for, for one thing for five years. A Bible. A Bible of her own. For five years, she did not stop praying for a Bible of her own. So that means at the age of six, she was praying for a Bible of her own. At the age of 11, it's when she got it. And then as I continue, as I continue to read this story about this little girl, this is what she said after that. She said, I, now I know because God answered this prayer, I can pray about anything. It'd be so easy for us to look at God and say, how come you didn't just give it after the first request? Why did you take so long? And yet here's this six-year-old who then became an 11-year-old who really now believes in the power of prayer because she kept praying. And she was taught to continue to pray. I watched a video of a pastor. He was in China. This is a while back. This is 2010. And he went there to teach 22 Christian leaders. And he's in this 700-square-foot apartment. I don't know how many stories up, but a quite, quite a bit up. They need to take an elevator up. But here's the thing. The 22 Christian leaders had to travel by train 13 hours. And then when they showed up, they had to go up the elevator two by two, not all at the same time because it would look a little suspicious because this would be an illegal gathering. And so two by two, they would go up and then they would go in and they had, it was just wooden floors, not really any chairs. And they would sit there all day. For three days, they would just sit there and listen to this pastor teach them the Bible. At one point, he asked them, hey, what would happen if we got caught? And they told him that within 24 hours, he would, de he would be deported, that they would all go to prison for three years. Just for gathering for this. And so, he then asked, how many of you have gone to prison because you love Jesus? And out of the 22 people that were there, 18 people raised their hand. All because they simply loved Jesus. So he, had a, he said he had about 15 Bibles and he passed them out. And he sees this older woman and she's holding it. And when he says, turn to Second Peter, all of a sudden she, she had it open and then closed it and then handed it off to the next person. So at the break, he walks up to her and says, so why did you hand off the Bible? She goes, I already memorized that. I said, where did, where did you memorize that? I said, I memorized that in prison. So when I was in prison, because she loved Christ, people would come in and, and they, would write, uh, they would write scripture passages on a piece of paper and smuggle it into her. Then she would read it and memorize it as quickly as she could because she knew that if the guards found it, they would take it and they would confiscate it and throw it away. So what she told the pastor was, this is what's going to happen if they caught it. But I knew, here's the thing, if I memorized it, they could take the paper, but they couldn't take his word because it was in me, and he was blown away. So for three days, they sat there on hardwood floor, no air conditioning, humid as all get out. At the end of it, he said, is there anything I could pray for you about? And the person raises their hand, and he says, if you could pray, could you pray that we'd become like you in America? We hear that you can worship whenever you want, that you can gather whenever you want. There's no issue, there's no problem. Would you pray that we would have that? Would we become like you? 
And he looked at this person and said, I won't pray for that. And that was my reaction when I first said, I was like, wow, what a jerk. And he said, let me explain. See, back at home, if people have to travel further than an hour to come to a worship service, they won't come back. And you all came 13 hours on a train. See, you all came and you, you came upstairs and you sat in this room where there was no air conditioning. See, back at home, if people show up and they're not comfortable and you guys don't have chairs and you sat on the floor at home, if they're not comfortable enough and they don't like the chairs and they don't like the music and they don't like, they just won't come back. He said, I'm not going to pray that you become like us. I'm going to pray that we become like you. And I remember hearing him make that statement. I went, yes, God, would you turn us into that? Guys, don't you feel like maybe we get a little bit too much into our creature comforts? And even as churches, we try to outdo the other church in what it is that we provide for creature comforts. Guys, there's parts in the Old Testament I think I see it in the book of Ezra and I see it in the book of Nehemiah where they, all they did was read the law for a quarter of the day. And for a quarter of the day, the people stood as they listened to the reading of the law. The first five books of the Old Testament, they're just standing. Men, women, children, they're just standing because the word of God is being proclaimed because they hadn't heard it for so long. And today, don't go too long because people won't come back. What is it about this book that would cause people to go up against it so hard? I think it might be partly this, is that the word of God is not afraid of anything or anyone because God is, a, he is, God is not afraid of anyone or anything. And the word of God will confront us and convict us, but it will also encourage us. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And some would sit there, if you don't believe in the Bible, say, yeah, but Brian, you're using the Bible to prove the Bible, or you're using the Bible to prove God. Well, I'm not sure why that's such a huge issue, but okay. Maybe you'd sit there and go, I don't know how, how do we know it's reliable? Is there any evidence for it? Because I just don't believe it. Okay, that's fine. And, and I can't sit there and go, well, when you open up to a certain page and you find that page, then God pops out like a genie. I can't find that. But what I can tell you is that it, it was written over a 1,500-year span, 40 different authors, three different continents, three different languages, and it doesn't contradict itself. Guys, what do you think? If I, if I, if I drove down the hill, went down to downtown Fresno, was just walking the streets, and I walk up to 100 random people, 100 random people, same day, same place, and ask them, what is your opinion on whatever hot topic that we want to throw out there? Do you think that all 100 people would agree on the same day, same place? And yet we have 40 different authors, 1,500-year span, three different continents, three different languages, and it agrees. Archaeologically, nothing has ever been proven, or I'm sorry, nothing has ever been found to disprove the Bible. Have they found everything in the Bible? Absolutely not. But have they found anything to disprove it? Absolutely not. Archaeologists use it as a roadmap to find the things that they're looking for. Guys, it's historically accurate. And then you get into prophecies, and a messianic prophecy is pr pretty much a prophecy 
that's spoken about Jesus before he shows up. Now, within the Bible, there's over 300 messianic prophecies about Jesus. Let me just read a few. Of the 300 plus, here's a few. Born of a virgin, born in Bethlehem, great persons would come to adore him. There would be the killing of children in Bethlehem. He would be called out of Egypt. He'd be preceded by a forerunner. He'd be a prophet like Moses. He'd be entering into his public ministry in Galilee. He would live in poverty and meekness, tenderness, and compassion. He'd be full of zeal, preaching with parables, working with miracles. He'd be triumphantly enter into Jerusalem. He'd be rejected by his own Jewish brethren. Jews and Gentiles could combine against him. He would be betrayed by a friend. He'd be accused by false witnesses. He'd be sold for 30 pieces of silver. His betrayer would kill himself. His disciples would desert him. He would die under suffering, but would be silent. His appearance would be marred. He'd be spit upon. He'd be scourged. His hands and feet would be nailed to the cross. He'd be forsaken by God. He would cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He'd be mocked. His friends would stand far off. Gall and vinegar would be offered to him. His garments would be parted and gambled for. He'd be numbered among the transgressors. He would intercede for his murderers. Not one bone in his body would be broken. He'd be pierced long before crucifixion would ever be invented. His heart would be broken. His side would be pierced. Darkness would cover the land. He'd be buried in a rich man's tomb. His flesh would not see corruption. He would, he would be raised from the dead. He would ascend back to the right hand of the Father. And all of this done and spoken of hundreds of years before Jesus shows up, and this isn't even all of them. What's the probability that one person would come and just fulfill eight of the 300 and plus messianic prophecies? So a mathematician looks and says, okay, looks at his class, and this is legit. This is real. Hey, what's the, what's the probability one person would fulfill just eight of these messianic prophecies, these one of, or eight of these 300 plus messianic prophecies? When they did all the work on it, they came up with this. The probability one person would do that is one in 10 to the 17th power. 10 to the 17th power, so 10 was 17 zeros after it. So let's put this in perspective. If you have 10 to the 17th power in silver dollars, that will fill the state of Texas two feet deep. The whole state would be covered two feet deep in silver dollars. Now imagine I take one, I mark it with an X, I chuck it in the middle of the state of Texas, and then we stir the whole state. And then one of you one of you, okay, bring your youth group with you, but one of you and your youth group, Hume flies you first class to Texas. Then we blindfold you, and you got one shot. You can go through any part of Texas. You can take as long as you want to try to find the one with the X on it. The same probability that you'll find that one with the X on it, the first try, is the same probability that one person would fulfill just eight of the messianic prophecies, and Jesus fulfilled them all. And so when people say there's no evidence for the reliability or the validity of Scripture, they deny the evidence that's before them. No other book has ever done this. Friends, it is so important for us to understand. Friends, this is the Word of God. This is what God gave to us. Why? Why do we have to have this? So we could know him. We could know our plight. We could know his remedy. And guys, it is so important for us to have truth that is outside of our own opinions. Something that's objective outside, rather than us just coming up with our own conclusions of what truth is, which is what we start to see happening today, more and more. 
And so you got a picture that at the end of the Old Testament, God goes silent for about 400 years. No prophetic word, no prophet shows up and speaks anything. For 400 years, God goes silent. And all of a sudden, this guy named John shows up. And this is Jesus' cousin, actually. John shows up, and he's, people are flocking to him. And he's speaking these things about the kingdom of God. And he's baptizing people left and right. Then the, the religious leaders come up, and they ask him, Hey, are you the Messiah? And this is what he says about himself. Because everyone's, everyone's anticipating the Messiah's coming. Why? Why would they jump to conclusions like that? Because of what this fatty part of the Bible that a lot of times we don't look at because of what it said. They place their hope in it. John the Baptist said, I am the voice of the one crying out of the wilderness to make straight the way of the Lord. As the prophet Isaiah said, he quotes the scriptures. And so now we pick up here in John chapter 1, verse 35. It says, the next day... Again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? Guys, if you have a paper Bible and you don't mind doing this, just underline that question, if you don't mind. Now, I know that for some, he's like, No, no, this is the Word of God. How dare you? Guys, it's the Word. It's not his face. You're okay. Just underline it, because I think it's such a poignant question. I think it's so important. So if, if Jesus were to show up and come into chapel, I promise you this, I wouldn't, I wouldn't sit there and go, Jesus, I'm not done yet. Could you have a seat? I would just get off the stage, because nobody cares. What if he walked up to each one of you one by one and said this, hey, what are you seeking? What are you seeking? He didn't say, what do you want? He says, what are you seeking? How would you answer that question? I mean, go deep with it. What are you seeking? Guys, I used to have uh, social media. I'm not anti-tech. I'm not anti-phone. I hope you don't think that. Social media, I used to be that person um, that only uses it for ministry. Um, I remember having Instagram, and I would take pictures. Like, I would show up at this, I would show up at this thing I'm speaking at, and there's like 25 kids. There's a youth group. I remember there's this one time I went up to Tahoe. 25 kids in a youth group, and they said, hey, could you come speak? Absolutely, I'll come speak. But I take a picture with the angle from the back where the hands are up and the lights on, and it's like, oh, my gosh. And I take the picture, and I would say something like, so humbled to be here. But it made it look like there's 25,000 people in the room, and there's like 25. And then I'd wait to get all these double taps that said like, 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 like. But it's like, oh, I just want to make sure everyone knows what God's doing. These are incredible things. Even though Jesus said, don't let your right hand know what your left hand's doing. But I would just let everyone know. So I remember I was having this quiet time once. And I got to the end of Romans chapter 2, and I'm paraphrasing it, but it was something like, and, and God will give you his praises. And right then I felt like God confronted me. He said, stop using my people for your quick fix of pleasure. That's what came to my mind. And right then I, I deleted it. And I'm still living. And I deleted Facebook. You're like, we don't even use Facebook anymore. I know. I got rid of all, and I, the last one, you ever heard of LinkedIn? I don't even know why I did that one. It's like all the business people, like, let me share. I used to just be there trying to find people you could do work with. Now it's like, we're going to share like everybody else is. And I kept sitting there going, 
I needed the affirmation of people rather than just striving for the applause of heaven. I needed other people. What I was seeking was approval. What I was seeking is for other people to applaud me for what I was doing. And if I didn't hit 100 likes, oh, then I wasn't validated. Does anybody else struggle with that? You'll scroll through all the fake lives and post a fake life so that maybe people would like you, all the while comparing your life to the fake life, always wishing that you could be more like them. Does anybody else struggle with that? And some say yes and some say no, but I think the question is this, what are you seeking? Because all of us are, we're seeking something. He asked them the question, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard John speak and follow and, and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he first found his own brother and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. It's like, we have found the Messiah. Now, why is that so important? Well, it's sitting there going, why is, this, why is this connected to the written word of God? Like, what does this have to do with anything? Why? Because Andrew knew about what the Bible was saying about Jesus' coming. Who was this Messiah? And he runs back to his brother and goes, we found him. Again, you have another guy placing his hope in what it is that God had said. And so he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Cephas, Peter means rock. Guys, when you look at the life of Peter, he doesn't seem like a rock. He seems like a noodle. Like he'll say one thing, then he'll kind of bend. He's all passionate, and he kind of pulls back. Can you imagine this? <laughs> Jesus goes, you're Simon. You'll be, you, one day you'll be called rock. And Peter's kind of like, yeah. And Andrew's in the back going, nah, not this guy. Jesus, if you knew this guy, he's a flake. What are you supposed to take from this? What if that's the same thing that Jesus would say to each of us? What if, one, what if he looks at me and says, hey, your name is Brian, but you will one day be. In other words, one day you're going to be who I want you to be. And it's going to be a process, but he's going to be with me through it all. What if he has that name for you as well? Like who you are now is not who you will because God's going to do this incredible work throughout your life. So, verse 43, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So again, they're going back to what does the scriptures say? Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Oh, dang. Nazareth is this little tiny square, like 40 square acre town, Nazareth. This thing's tiny, podunk. And Nathanael just trash talked God. Can anything good come from, come from Nazareth? Guys, do you, really, do you realize that Jesus is really the only thing and only one who is truly good? And then Jesus shows up and he says this, Behold an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said, How do you know me? And Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael answered, Rabbi, you're the son of God. That's all it took. You're the son of God. Doesn't it sound more like a parlor trick? Guys, there's got to be something that you do with this. 
And yet I was telling, I just had this conviction, and I'm always with our church at home, I'm just always encouraging and encouraging and challenging. Guys, be people of the book. For some, you say, well, if God would just speak, I would jump in. I, like, I'd go all in. Let me just open the book and let him speak to you. Guys, I believe that right now, we, including myself, we are the most biblically illiterate culture in the history of the world. We have apps. We have websites, tons of resources. We have paper Bibles still. And yet we find ourselves not able to get into it. He said, I go, but Brian, it's hard. I know it's hard. That's why I don't say, okay, has anyone ever done this? You leave camp, you're just on this camp high. You get home, it's like, I'm going to read the whole Bible today. Like, I'm just going to nail it all today. It's like, okay, so I'm going to read the, I'm starting Genesis. And Genesis, you're hanging in there. There's some cool stories in there. Then you get to Exodus, it's like, there's some cool stories until about 21. You're like, oh, what is this? And then you hit Leviticus. And you're going, what the heck is this? Like, God, is this, God, is this your cure for insomnia? Like, I don't understand this. Like, I need this offering for this and shed into blood for this. And da, 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 you keep going through it. Then you get to Numbers. I know, right? All the, all the non-math people are like, I don't want that one. <laughs> it's like, hey, there's, there's this many people in this, in this group. And you're like, I don't care. And then what happens? And so you don't, you don't keep going. Why? Because every other book you read, you start in the beginning. I get it. You start in the beginning and you keep going through it. And can I, just, can I just invite you? Don't start Genesis. Like read Mark. Get to know Jesus. Read Philippians, the letter of joy. Like start there. Maybe for some of you go, but Brian, I've never had anyone show me how to do this. Like how do I spend time reading the Bible? Guys, I remember, I'd hear it over and over, read the Bible, read the Bible. So I'd read it, go through Genesis, Leviticus, I want to die. I've gone through the whole thing. I did the whole thing as a high schooler. Guys, it wasn't until I was a, I was a volunteer at Hume as a 19-year-old, I went to a workshop on how to read the Bible, like how to have a quiet time. That was the first time that anyone had shown me how to do it. And I, I applied that for the next 20 years. And yet then I'd spend time in the Word. It was kind of sporadic, even as a pastor, as a youth pastor. It's kind of like, well, a few days a week I would be doing it, and then, man, I'm important, and i got to get some things done. God, you get it. You'll give me the words. It's fine. And all of a sudden, my time alone with them became something more optional because I had ministry to get accomplished. About seven or eight years ago, I was back in Louisville speaking at this Christian high school, and I was co-teaching with this other guy. I wish I can't remember his name. Darn it. But I, as he's telling me his testimony, I said, tell me your story. Like, tell, like where are you from? What are you about? And he goes, well, I used to play for Louisville. Uh, I was a football player for Louisville. Then I got, I got drafted to the Niners, and I'm like, dang. Like, you're a real man. I'm not, but you are. Like, that's red. Like, he's, and he's still kind of yoked, and I'm not. And so I'm <laughs> like, this, I said, so what happened? He goes, well, I blew up my knee, and I never got to play. And I thought, well, did I just make you better? He said, well, I struggled with it. But then all of a sudden, I just came into the ministry. Like, I love Jesus. And so I preached a message, and he preached a message. And I'm like, dang, you're a good preacher. And so then afterwards, the kids wanted to take us out some, for some sweet barbecue. And I'm like, come on, there's something sweet about Kentucky. The humidity sucks, but the barbecue's going to be awesome. 
But he says, I can't go because I'm going to hang out with a young adult. He's about an hour away. He's at college. I'm going to hang out with him, and then I'll see you tomorrow. So all of a sudden, he shows up the next day, and he's exhausted. I'm like, why do you look so tired? He says, well, I hung out with this kid. Like, and then about 9.30, he goes, hey, can we go to a movie? And so he goes to a movie. He says, I didn't get home until like 1.30, but I had to get up at 5 to spend time with the Lord. And this is the first thing I thought. Why? Like, God knows you need sleep. Like, why would you get up and get like four, like four hours, three and a half hours of sleep? Why would you do it? Just skip it. He'll, he'll anoint you. You're fine. That's what I thought. But of course, I'm looking, I'm going, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And I'm like, did I do that today? I, I was so convicted by that. Why? Because for him, time in the word wasn't optional. It was the necessity. Like, he wanted to hear from Jesus. But see, the guys, that's the point of the scriptures. The Bible didn't replace the third person of the Trinity. It's not the Father, Son, and Holy Scriptures. Still Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The, the reason we spend time in the Bible is that we can hang out with God. That's the reason. So here's what I want to challenge you. When you sit there and go, I've never had anyone show me how to do it. Walk up to your youth pastor and say, hey, can you show me? How do you spend time with, how do you spend time with God in the Word? I'll be honest, if I was still a youth pastor and a kid came up and asked me and I was doing it, I would be just overjoyed. If I wasn't, I'd be terrified. So now we can just throw that in there to see if they're doing it. <laughs> guys, why is this so important? Why? Because, guys, it's in the Bible. It's in the Bible that we learn that God created the heavens and the earth. Guys, it's in the Bible that we learn that we humans have what's called intrinsic value. That you have been created in the very image of God. Why is that so important? Guys, you know the reason that we should be showing honor and respect and care and concern for people? For no matter, no matter what their background, no matter what they're going through, no matter their past, no matter their ethnicity, no matter their gender, you know why we show them compassion and, and respect? It's because they're created in the image of God. You take God out of the equation, it's survival of the fittest. But you put God into it, oh man, that changes everything. Guys, it's in the Bible that we learn about the fall, about sin. Sin being rebellion, not just, oops, I made a mistake, and oh, I'm a sinner because there's sin in the world, and that's why I just, I would never do that. Guys, we learn in the Bible that we're rebellious against this holy God. It's in the Bible that, yes, when we get to Leviticus, you're going, I don't want to read that part, but when you read Leviticus under the umbrella that God is holy, that if we want to approach him, there has to be offering, there has to be this shedding of blood, and then you read the writer of Hebrews who says that it's impossible for the shedding, for the shedding of blood of bulls and goats to actually bring about reconciliation or forgiveness with God. It doesn't happen. So we take the Bible and realize, okay, so all these things in Leviticus, what were they pointing to? Well, the reason that John looks at Jesus and says, behold, the Lamb of God, is because it's connected to Leviticus. That Jesus, Leviticus is just pointing to what Jesus would come and do. Guys, it's in the Bible that we hear these stories. David and Goliath. Guys, a stinking nine-foot giant. And some 15-year-old punk just comes walking and goes, what did he say? What did he say about God? Oh, no. No, I'm in. 
game on. I'll take him down. You know why I love that? Because most 15-year-old guys go, I got this. I got it. Just sit back. I got this. So he tried to put armor on. He's like, I can't fight with this. It's like, I can't do anything with this. What do you want? Give me a slingshot and some rocks. Now, it's not like this. Bing. <laughs> you want to fight? Bing. It wasn't like that. Okay, so just picture this little pouch and two pieces of leather stripping. And anyone who is super great, I was thinking about it. David's job was what? A shepherd. Guys, there comes a point where I'm thinking you're getting a little, bo- a little bit bored. But the reason that he could go to Saul and say, hey, I'll take him on, because there was this one time, there was this lion that came in to take a sheep, and I went up and I killed it. Guys, I got to be honest, that is not on my resume. If I see a lion, I don't sit there and go, uh-uh, you don't take the lamb. I'm like, um, do you want some steak sauce or something? Because I'm done. I'm, doing, I'm done. I'm good. He says, another time a bear came up, and I killed it. I chased it and killed that thing. He says, this, this guy's nothing. So as a shepherd, when he's bored, can you imagine just sitting there going, oh, what can I hit? He just, he's practicing all day. Guys, anyone who was good at a sling could get that thing going that that rock would come flying out like the bullet of a gun. And so when it says, on the first shot, that's impressive. On the first shot, sinks it into his skull. Anyone who says the Bible is boring, I don't think they read that part. Sinks it into his skull, the dude drops. Then David picks up the dude's sword and chops off his head. Because he told him, he trash talked, today I'm going to chop off your head. Because that's such a red day. Can you imagine when you're done, you go home? But it did say he took it with him, which is a little bit weird. You imagine you show up, he's got this bag. Mom's like, hey, how was your day? It was all right. What'd you do? Not much. What's in the bag? You don't want to know. <laughs> you don't want to know that one. Guys, it's in the Bible that I read that's from David. I read some of his songs or psalms. It's in the Bible where I see David being completely honest before God and says this in Psalm 13, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? See, it's from that psalm that I remember years ago, I felt like God was saying, I want you to stop being polite when you pray. Guys, a lot of times when we're polite when we pray, we're just lying when we pray. It's in that moment. Think about, will you forget me forever? Guys, it's that word forever. That's a little sass, isn't it? How long will you forget me? Forever? Oh, did he just say that? Psalm 73, God used that in my life. Guys, I still remember getting the phone call from my wife. When my two-year-old and my one-month-old at the time were sitting there in the room, I wasn't even warned to go with her. And she said, are you sitting down? I was in my office. I picked up the work phone. I, I said, hey, babe. She goes, are you sitting down? I said, nope. So I sat down. She goes, I have cancer. I'm sorry, what? And so I said, I'll be right there. I'll be home. And so I packed up all my stuff, and I get out. I, get, I start passing my little assistant. My, assistant. my assistant was the sweetest little grandma. Her name was Marguerite. Oh, I loved her. Everyone loves grandma, right? For the most part. I put my glasses on, I start passing, I Marguerite, I'll see you later. She says, no, 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 stop, come here. And I'm like, yes, ma'am. You don't argue with Grandma. She says, what is it? And I tell her, I said, Kelly has cancer. She says, oh, I'm so sorry. And then she says, this is what we're going to do. Like, she already had a plan. We're going to call the whole staff right now. We're going to pray. I was like, no, I got to get out of here. She goes, okay, you've got a minute. You've got one minute to get out of here and start driving, because in a minute, I'm going to call the whole staff. We're going to pray. Only Grandma can get away with that. 
I go running down the stairs. I say bye to the reception. I run in my car and I take off and I make it to the next parking lot. And I prayed, God, seriously? God, and then I, I wish I could say the volume was low. I said something like, God, seriously, my whole life's about you. Everything's about you. You're giving me the shaft. You ever prayed like that? I never knew I could until I read the scriptures. And you know what verse came to my mind? It's out of the book of Job. And it says something like, will you condemn me so that you can be in the right? And I was broken. I drove home really fast. I don't know why. I don't know why I drove so I went the speed limit-ish, but I mean, I made it home pretty quick. I don't know what I thought I was going to do. Is I going to walk in and go, babe, I got it. It's fine. Just lay down on the table. I've got a butter knife. I'm going to take it out. We're going to be fine because I'm a pastor. The Lord will give me everything that I need. I will become a surgeon. Guys, I wish that I could say that I had full faith when I walked in. But there she was at the kitchen sink, tiny little kitchen. I mean, it's smaller. Like it's like from there to here. It was tiny. She's, at the, she's over here washing dishes, and Tyler's sitting there eating a hot dog because it's good. And Dylan's on the floor. In the, no, he's not on the floor in the kitchen. He's in a carrier. We don't just throw our kids out. He's just laying there. Shut up. It wasn't like that. So he's in a carrier. Friends, here's your camp speaker. This is the first thought that came into my mind. God, I don't know how to be a single dad. That's all I thought. I don't know how to do this. Guys, it's in the Bible that God met me. When I thought that God healed her, but he didn't, I was so angry and bittered. And read Psalm 73, that's Asaph. Guys, it's in the Bible that you have, you have God telling the people of Israel when they're in captivity. He says, you're going to be in captivity for 70 years, but oh, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you hope and a future. It's in the book of Isaiah that we hear about this Jesus coming. And I mean, there's songs that are written about this. It's like his name will be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. It's in Isaiah 53, hundreds of years before Jesus shows up. It details what Jesus would go through. Because it's in the Bible that the first Christmas is recorded. Guys, it's in the Bible that we learn I can't do enough good things to get to God. Why? Because all of my good deeds are like filthy rags. It's in the Bible. It's in the Bible that says, oh gosh, before Christ, we're dead in our sin. We're dead in our trespasses. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, it starts out that way. You get to verse 4, but God. You get down to verse 8. For we are saved by grace, through faith, and this, referring to faith, this not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast. It's in the Bible that it continues to verse 10. It says that we are God's workmanship. That word workmanship is masterpiece. We're his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus, restored into relationship with God through Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. It's in the Bible that Jesus says, hey, I want you to love your enemies. I want you to pray for those who persecute you. 
It's in the Bible that we're taught how to pray. It's in the Bible that God shows us, hey, this, I know it's difficult. You're going through suffering now, but I want you to consider pure joy. How can I consider suffering as pure joy? Because God is doing a miraculous work through us and in us that we could never experience had it not been for the fire that he puts us through. It's in the Bible that I learned about the faithfulness of God. The righteousness of God, the holiness of God, the grace, the mercy of God, the forgiveness of God, the wrath of God, the justice of God. It's in the Bible that we learn, hey, you know what? I should be what? I should be elevating women as equal to me. And women should be elevating men as equal to you. We're not trying to say, hey, I can do better than you. No, let's just do it all together. And it's in the Bible that says that Jesus is coming back one day. And he's not coming back like he did the first time where it's kind of camouflaged. The whole world will know. But it's in the Bible that we learn until that day, we have a mission to go and make disciples who make disciples. It's in the Bible that we learn these things. And it's from the Bible we actually have people who lived this out. Guys, you realize that the concept of orphanages came because of followers of Jesus. Guys, you realize in the first century, if a Roman citizen didn't want their baby anymore, they could take their baby, take it outside of the city, leave it out there in the wilderness, and let an animal eat it. Until Christians hear about it, and they go running, find the baby, and they take the baby as their own. Florence Nightingale, who kind of introduced us to the, to the idea of nursing, a follower of Jesus. Guys, that's just two of thousands of different Examples of Christians living this thing out all to the glory of Jesus because they took this book seriously. Not because they worshiped the book, but because they loved the God that the book talks about. They loved the God of the Bible. Guys, we gotta be people who are, who are in the book. Guys, if you wanna share your faith, you need to know what the faith is. It's not good enough for us to just make it up. We need to know what the Bible says. And here's the last thing, and we'll close. Friends, if you want to know the will of God, you need to be in the word of God. If you want to know the will of God, you need to be in the word of God. I don't know how else we decipher when it is that God's speaking to us. We have to be people of the book. And if it starts out as just this discipline, so be it. Friends, I promise you this, you commit to being a person of the book. All of a sudden, you'll see God change it from have to to get to. You're sitting there going, okay, I, I would love to hear. Like if you're sitting there going, I would love to hear how to do this. I would love to show you. Find me. Talk to you. I'll, I'll, I'll say this is the quick thing that, did, that, that was shown to me when I learned it here at Hume. Why? Because I just want you to know the Bible. But first, go to your youth pastors. Go to your youth leaders. I'm not, I'm not like the answer man. I have a way, not the way, but guys, I'm, we need to know this. Brian, I don't have time. Yes, you do. Put down the phone. Stop scrolling. I don't like to read. Yes, you do. You'll read a menu. We'll read when we want to, when it's important to us, when we want something out of it. Guys, when we realize what this is and who wrote it and what he thinks about us, oh, it might actually change everything. Can I pray for us? Let me pray.
Father, thank you for your word. God, and I know that there are people in here who don't believe it, and that's fine. Oh, but Jesus, I pray that you would draw them to actually read it. Instead of just relying upon a, a quick four and a half minute video on YouTube, where the person thinks they've disproven the most incredible book ever written, the number one bestseller, the thing that stood up since the test of, or since time began, or since it was written, the book that people have died for, but the book that's changed societies and cultures for the good. And God, I confess, I admit it. People have taken this book and taken completely out of context and done some horrific things. Not because of the teaching of the Bible, but in spite of it. But I pray that it would be people of the book because we actually want to be people who are after your heart. God, thank you that you penned this for us, that we might know you, know our plight, and know you as remedy. God, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name and all of Christ's followers say, amen. Love you more than you know.